Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello, COS supporters, and welcome back to another edition of COS Live. My name is Andrew Lush. I will be your host for this episode, and of course, I am joined by Rita Peters, who is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, but she's also my co-host for COS Live. Rita, it's great to be back with you for another episode. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great to be back and, you know, kicking off the summer here. I hope that our viewers will chime in and let us know where they're watching from today. That's right, Rita. We'd love to hear from our audience. Uh, Go ahead and drop a comment below. Let us know what state you're tuning in from. And while you're at it, give us a like, a rumble, a retweet, a share, wherever you're tuning in from. We need to get the word out about Article 5 and Convention of States. It is the secret weapon that our founding fathers gave to us. It's also the secret weapon that the swamp monsters in D.C. don't want you knowing about. Rita Andrew, it is so fun for me to join you guys. And this is going to be such a great... raise awareness by getting this out on social media again. It's an Article 5 Convention of States, the secret weapon that our founding fathers gave to us. Rita, we got an excellent show lined up because Ohio is looking like it could be state number 20. I don't know. There's a few different states in the running right now, but Ohio is looking really good. We're going to recap a recent uh, hearing that was going on in Ohio where some of the opposition showed up. They hurled some crazy comments, some lies, and some misinformation. You're going to go through it and, uh, and share with the audience all of the lies, all of the craziness, and we're going to sift through what was fact and what was not fact. So that's going to be really uh, fun. Also, we're going to have Mark Meckler's testimony. He came in at the end. He cleared up all of the misinformation, so we're going to share that with the audience as well to just bring some clarity. Before we get to that, we have our Article 5 trivia giveaway with COS Vice President uh, Mike Ruthenberg. So over to you, Mike. Drew, it is so fun for me to join you guys. And this is going to be such a great show. There's so many amazing things to be seen. And there's actually something that you may be able to see as a result of this trivia question. And that's why I'm here, you guys. I'm going to give you the question And more importantly, I'm going to offer you the chance to win one of our most popular products in the COS store. And that happens to be this. Ooh, there it is. The Medic. That's our knife. It's a little assisted open knife. I carry one with me all the time. Absolutely love it. They're actually a killer deal. So if you don't win it, if you don't win the Medic, and here's the little box it comes in then you will just go to shopconventionstates.com and you can pick one up. And also I'm foreshadowing this brand new hat. Check it out. A new trucker hat says Convention States on the side. COS logo in the front. These should be in the store in the next month. They're printing these things and we should get them there pretty darn quick. I'm excited about that. But now let's jump into our question. And there's so many, so much news going on in Convention to States The Convention States projects enjoyed endorsements, of course, many of you know, by some of the biggest names in politics, some of the most brilliant names in conservatism politics, including Ben Shapiro, Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Ron Paul, just to name a few. We've had five presidential candidates all endorse the Convention States project, but none from Hollywood. 
How about this? After Mark Meckler appeared on this guy's television show, and this is your question today. After Mark appeared on his television show, this influential actor became the most recent high-profile endorsement to the Convention of States. Who is that? Here's a little hint. He was first known for his role on TV show Growing Pains. Stay tuned. I'll be back to spill the beans on the answer is. You should be typing that answer right now if you know it into the chat because it's fun to see everybody chatting and you might be right. We'll see you soon. Back to you, Rita and Andrew. The Ohio Senate has been holding hearings on the Convention of States Action Resolution. Remember that under Article 5, the Constitution gives the states the power to call a convention to propose amendments. Again, it is to propose, that's a key word there, to propose amendments, and that's if two-thirds of the state, uh, or 34 states. Our Article 5 legislation has been passed now in 19 states. We have 15 more to go. That means we are over halfway to that magic number of 34 states needed to call a convention. And also remember, our resolution only covers three topics, fiscal restraints, term limits, and limitations on federal power. We cannot propose amendments outside of those three subject matters. A couple of weeks ago, uh, the Ohio Senate General Government Budget Committee held its second hearing on SJR4. That's the number for our legislation in Ohio. Uh, at the first hearing, there was mostly proponent testimony. Our COS activists in Ohio, they showed up in droves and they really just gave excellent testimony in favor of our uh, of our legislation. They packed that hearing room with activists and with COS uh, volunteers. The second hearing though, uh, we were able to pack it again with more uh, volunteers and COS activists, but our energy that we brought unfortunately woke up the opposition. And so the opposition came to testify against our resolution. Uh, we're gonna respond to some of that opposition. Uh, Rita is going to uh, share with you some of the points that were misleading that were wrong and that were just crazy. We have a few videos lined up for you. Uh, we'll play those and then Rita will give some commentary. Uh, before we get to that, Rita, you've been in the Ohio legislature many times. You've testified there before. Are there any tips that you can give to the audience, things that they should look out for, or things that they should know about the Ohio legislature? Yeah, well, to give our audience a little bit of context and background, one thing to keep in mind, if you're from a state other than Ohio, you might be used to seeing legislation go for one committee hearing and then either at the conclusion of that hearing or at a separate meeting, the committee votes and then the resolution would proceed for a floor vote. Ohio is a little bit different in that Ohio likes to have lots of hearings <laughs> on legislation before it actually goes for a vote by the committee and then onto the floor. However, it's really interesting to note that the Ohio Senate seems to have expedited the process just a bit for our resolution and condensed those hearings. So at the first hearing we had before this Ohio Senate committee, it was the sponsors who introduced the resolution and then proponents, including, as you mentioned earlier, Mark Meckler was there at that first hearing. Then at the second hearing, which is the one we're going to see clips of in just a moment, 
they had they invited pretty much anyone who wanted to come and give testimony for or against and then um, allowed Mark Meckler to sort of do rebuttal testimony at the end. Now, interesting to note that we did have lots of supporters in, in the hearing, both, both hearings there in the committee room. But at this second hearing, we showed a lot of restraint by sort of just letting the opponents, you know, have their heads and, and go for long, frustratingly long periods of time with their testimony, we could tell that the committee members, you know, were were really tiring of hearing what turned into being this, some of the same points made over and over again. The committee hearing ran very, very long. Um, and so we did really restrain ourselves and just gave a very small um, bit of testimony there at the very end. So since you won't get to see the entire hearing in, in this program, that's a little bit of background and context for you. But of course, Mark Meckler does an amazing job, especially when he gets to go toward the end and sort of have the last word. So it was really exciting to watch. Um, the other thing I'll add, just so you're not in suspense, is that this committee has not yet voted, um, but we are hopeful that that will happen shortly after the summer break. Well, with that, Rita, let's get into the first clip that we have. Uh, this man testifying, he makes some startling accusations about the academic scholarship on Article 5 and the convention process. All right, check this one out, Rita. And I think one of the problems that we see with Convention of States is this basic aspect of intellectual dishonesty because they're cherry picking these quotes out of context to make it seem like they support the point when in fact they don't uh, do that uh, at all. Also, there's just absolutely no dedication to actual scholarship. And we've seen this from the standpoint that they have some legal experts, but when you compare those to the other legal experts that have said, terrible idea, don't do it, literally, this is like comparing your local JV high school football team to the Cleveland Browns. There's just, it's nonsensical to even compare them. Rita, did he just compare uh, Rob Nadelson, Michael Ferris, Mark Meckler to the JV high school team? I mean, come on. I think that's what he said. It's really astounding. But this is what I mean. Like, what do you say to that? So first of all, he claims that COS supporters have been intellectually dishonest, but what in the world is he talking about? Like, you can't just throw that out there without any specifics. I, you know, in fact, I would say we pride ourselves as an organization in not ever being intellectually dishonest. But yeah, the, the main thing here was um, his, what he said about dedication to scholarship. So the truth of the matter is, the true legal experts, and by that I mean the ones who have actually attended law school and been <laughs> trained <laughs> and practiced law and done legal research and written peer-reviewed articles and, hello, been cited by the Supreme Court dozens of times. So those legal experts have all supported the claims that COS makes you know, about how the Article 5 process would work. So the answers are out there. The legal experts, the real ones, 
are all on the side of convention of states. And, you know, I would be really interested to see which legal experts he is, you know, having in his mind when he is suggesting that there are legal experts who disagree with our conclusions. Mm. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've got the next one. Um, a lot of opponents come from the fringe right, but this next clip, this person seems to come from the left. Uh, just watching the testimony, I couldn't help but feel that way. Uh, one, she doesn't seem to know that we're in a constitutional republic. She seems to imply that we live in a democracy. She was very focused on democratic and not constitutional republic. Um, and then see if you could spot some of the other major issues with her testimony. Let's check this one out, Rita. We voted for our con Oh, the system you're proposing is unjust and undemocratic. We voted for our Congress. We did not and cannot vote for this constitutional change because, and I quote, the Congress of the United States does not have the power or authority to determine any rules for the governing of a convention of the states for proposing amendments called pursuant to Article 5 of the Constitution of the United States. The Congress of the United States does not have the power to set the number of delegates to be sent by any state to such a convention, nor does it have the power to name delegates to such a convention. The power to name delegates remains exclusively within the authority of the legislators of the several states and, by definition, a convention of the states means that the states shall vote on the basis of one state, one vote. So who determines these rules? Who decides on the governance? And only one representative per state? This totally takes any responsibility away from our elected officials in the House and the Senate and you guys. No one gives you permission to do that, and our federal and state election laws determine these positions. Not a vote on bringing together representatives for a convention of state uh, that we did not vote for, nor do we have any say in choosing. Nor do they represent the entire population's vote per state, but only the party of the state's current legislative body. And why should California or Texas, huge states by the way, only get one vote, the same as South Dakota? if they choose to attend. This strategy slants any decisions to smaller, less racially diverse states. I question whether this was your intention. Most will scream extreme prejudice, and I support that comparison. <laughs> wow, Rachel. Wow. OK, um, there's a lot there. There is a lot there. So it's I'm so confused. Like. Some things she seems to get, and so I'm listening and saying, yep, that's right. That is, you're right. And then other things I'm like, what? Where is she coming from? So, yes, one state, one vote. That is how a, an interstate convention always works according to universal historical precedent. That's a good thing. That's, that's the way the founder set it up. It's one state, one vote. But then at one point she says, so only one representative per state gets to go? No, nobody mm -hmm. said that. <laughs> so it is one state, one vote, but each state can choose the size of its delegation. And then the delegation, once it's at the convention, has to caucus and figure out you know, what their vote is as the state, the, the ones representing the state. Um, yeah, she seems rather upset that Congress doesn't get to be in charge of the convention. Well, 
you're right. Congress doesn't get to be in charge of the convention. That is the whole point. If you read the records of James Madison, when the Constitution was being written and when they were debating about, you know, how how to set this up, that was how this article con Article 5 convention process came to be part of our Constitution is that they realized, hey, wait, we are about to make a big mistake by putting in place a constitution that doesn't have a way for the states to put a check upon Congress if Congress becomes too big and too powerful and starts doing things that it wasn't intended to do. That's the whole reason they gave us in Article 5 this convention process whereby the states could get together and propose amendments to the Constitution to correct those sorts of power imbalances that they knew were likely to arise. So, yeah, I, it, that was really confusing. There was some good, there was some bad, but it was all um, sort of a muddle. <laughs> yeah, and Rita, doesn't that kind of undercut the opposition's argument? Don't they often say Congress is going to control this? She's like you just mentioned, she's lamenting that Congress is not going to control it. So it's like, I don't understand their arguments. They never seem to make sense. Yeah, I I totally agree. You kind of get the impression like she is really confused. She just knows that she doesn't like this. She doesn't want it to happen, you know, but it's unclear why she um, thinks she's a good person to be giving testimony because she does seem really confused about the whole thing. Yep. And she even said, we should be voting for this. You know, I don't know. This is just not what's outlined in the Constitution. It's not what's outlined in Article 5. Nope. All right. So the next one, we're going to be addressing some of the common claims about the 1787 Convention. I'm sure the audience is tired of hearing this, uh, the ridiculous claims. I can't wait. The 1787 Convention, but here we go. Here's clip number three. The next one, claims that runaway convention is not possible. Those are false and misleading. Again, Federalist 40 by Madison. I won't repeat whatever people have said, but that's uh, the, the 1787 Constitution was the only uh, precedent, and it was called with the sole and express purpose of revising the Articles of Confederation. And we all know they threw it out. And if you read Federalist 40, he gives the whole explanation how he justifies throwing out that limitation, how they feel they could expand upon what was the intent. He also justifies why they use nine votes to ratify instead of 13. He expands on why he felt they could justify that. Uh, and also in the congressional report, you'll see a couple scholars, Charles Black, offered an emphatic support for the unlimited convention viewpoint. He said, I believe Article 5, the words convention for proposing such amendments, mean a convention for proposing such amendments. So he's making it clear. You, you read the, you know, Mr. Meckler may have good intentions, but he's going to be nowhere to be found when these people start deciding what this means if we go into this convention. Uh, the Solicitor General Walter Dillinger state, any new constitutional convention must have the authority to study, debate, submit for the state's ratification, whatever amendment it considers useful. Again, you cannot limit an Article 5 all right, Rita, let's, uh, let's knock them down. What were all the misinformation points? All, what were they there? Okay, well, so first of all, like, where does he think Mark Meckler is going? <laughs> well, I thought, too. Is he just going to take a vacation? Been working all this time, 
for this uh, for a convention and then he just disappears. He's going to be nowhere to be found. He will be in an undisclosed location, Andrew. Um, okay, so let's start from the top here. He claims that the 1787 Constitutional Convention was the only precedent for an Article 5 convention. Well, in fact, that's just ridiculous. So frankly, you know, if someone set, starts out by saying that, you might as well just disregard everything else they say because that demonstrates that uh, this, this particular person is completely unaware of the, you know, around 40, definitely in the 30s, close to 40, interstate conventions that have been held in American history. So, you know, as soon as he said that, it's like, well, if he doesn't know about all the interstate conventions that have been held in American history, then why should he know anything about this process? So that just wasn't true. Um, the other big claim, you know, that was completely untrue is he says, that the 1787 Constitutional Convention was called solely to revise the Articles of Confederation. Well, he's totally off base though, but here's where he goes wrong. It's a mistake that so many people make, and I would just love to set the record straight on this once and for all if I could do that. He's reading this resolution that was passed by the Confederation Congress after a bunch of the states had already called for the 1787 convention, they had already commissioned their delegates, they were all set to go. And then the Confederation Congress put together this nice resolution, basically saying, we affirm that it's a good idea for the states to go have this convention. Now, the Confederation Congress did not have any authority to convene the states in any kind of convention. That was not in the Articles of Confederation. The states were doing this on their own initiative. So that's where we need to look to see what level of authority the states had when they met in Philadelphia in 1787. And if you do that, Andrew, as I know you have, but that guy clearly hasn't, <laughs> if you actually read the commissions that the states gave to their delegations, they did give them authority to do anything they needed to, to render the Constitution adequate to the exigencies of the Union. That basically means we give you full authority to do what you need to do to make this Union effective, to make it what it needs to be. So. Mm -hmm. He's, he's way off. And then finally, you know, I noted he, he talks about, well, Charles Black wants an unlimited convention. Well, so what? There may be some people out there who'd like to have an unlimited convention. They're not going to get one, at least not pursuant to the Convention of States application, because we have strictly limited our application for an Article 5 convention to those three topics you mentioned at the beginning of the show, imposing fiscal restraint on the federal government, limiting the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and setting term limits for federal officials and members of Congress. The states absolutely have authority and must, in fact, outline the scope of the convention that they are applying for to propose amendments, and we've done that. Mm. 
Rita, I always love a history lesson from you and from those who have studied this issue, not from uh, uh, people like the men that we just listened to who really just don't know what they're talking about and just start hurling around accusations and just uh, things that are not uh, that are not supported by the facts. So thank you for clearing that up. Uh, we have one final video before we get to Mark Meckler's testimony. Um, our good friend, Publius Holda, a.k.a. Joanna Scatori, a.k.a. Joanna Martin. I think that's her name. I don't know. There's so many names that are going around. I don't know. But I do remember her face. And I do remember her crazy accusations that she makes every single time she testifies. Let's go ahead and watch this uh, clip. It's always some good entertainment hearing from Publius Holda. <laughs> An Article 5 convention has always been about getting a new constitution. If we have another convention, nothing can stop the delegates from proposing a third constitution with its own new mode of ratification. This proposed constitution for the new states of America abolishes the states, converts them into regional governments answerable to the new national government. The states do not vote on this proposed constitution. Article 12, Section 1 of the New States Constitution provides that it is ratified by a referendum called by the President. Here is the Constitution for the New Socialist Republic in North America, drafted by the Revolutionary Communist Party, USA. The Constitution 2020 movement is backed by George Soros. He wants a Marxist Constitution. He is supported by Cass Sunstein, Eric Holder, and Marxist law professors all over the country. This is the task force report on the North American Union, prepared by the Globalist Council on Foreign Relations. This provides for, among other horrors, a parliament to be set up over and above the United States. This is altogether repugnant to our existing constitution. Before they can move us into the North American Union, they need a convention to get, a, to get rid of our existing constitution. I didn't put my tinfoil hat on to, uh, with Publius Holda. <laughs> Maybe I should have, though, because what is she talking about? New constitution, third constitution, socialist constitution? That's what we want to uh, bring about? Rita? Yeah. So, you know, I just want to say to her, Publius, Joanna, whatever your name is, if your point is that there are crazy people in the world who want crazy different forms of government, I will concede that point to you. Holding up documents that crazy people have written containing forms of government that they think are better than ours, okay, that's you can do that, but that has nothing to do with us. That has nothing to do with Article 5. You know, she said the Article 5 movement has always been about getting a new constitution. What? 
But where, where does that even come from? And here's what I would really like to ask her. So Publius, Joanna, if you're listening, here's what I would like to know. If it were really true that our Article 5 movement is about throwing out the current constitution that we love and just getting a new constitution, why in the world would we bother to use Article 5? It's so hard. Mm -hmm. Why would we do that? If we just wanted to throw out the constitution and form a new one, why don't we just get all the states together and, and let's do it? Why do we have to go through this process of getting all of these states to agree to this particular application that is limited to three particular topics, which by the way, a lot of people don't like, it's hard to get people to agree to them. Why would we bother to do that? This isn't about a new constitution. This is about exactly what Article 5 itself says in its very text, which is proposing amendments to this constitution, Joanna, the one that we already have. That's what we're trying to do. And then finally, I have to just, you know, I would love to ask her if, in fact, this Article 5 movement, the Convention of States, is backed by George Soros, then why in the world have all his 230 plus leftist organizations, many of which he funds, come out publicly with a written statement of their opposition against our effort. It, it just doesn't add up. So sorry, Joanna, but saying things doesn't make them so. <laughs> well said, Rita. Okay, we have one final video, and this one is really just a breath of fresh air because it is from our fearless leader, Mark Meckler, who is the co-founder and president of Convention of States Action. And he sets the record straight in his testimony that came after the opposition. I am, as you've heard so many times before, apparently Mark Meckler, he of the Article 5 scheme. Apparently somehow I transported myself through time and was sitting at the Constitutional Convention where I was holding Colonel George Mason's hand, whispered in his ear and suggested that he stand and rise and address the assembly and say these, roughly these words, that it was important that the states have the right to call a convention to propose amendments to rein in federal tyranny. Of course, I'm being facetious. <laughs> I was not at that convention. This is not Mark Meckler's Article 5 scheme. In my own defense, I have to rise and say I've never been accused of committing a Ponzi scheme before, so that was a new one. I've heard a lot of things in testimony around here. I hear a lot of slander aimed at both myself, and I've got a thick skin. I do politics just like you guys do. We get attacked all the time. It doesn't bother me, but when I hear our legal experts slandered, when I hear our grassroots slandered, when I hear them referred to as ignorant, and somehow they bought into some kind of Ponzi scheme, I have to admit my hackles rise a bit. And I find it incredibly frustrating that people, instead of dealing with factual arguments, deal with insults, slander, and innuendo. They talk about dark money. They talk about Ponzi schemes. They talk about attacking the scholars. Uh, a gentleman got up here and said, our scholars are no comparison to their scholars. The truth of the matter is, and this is an absolute fact, it's all on our website, every single nationally known conservative scholar, and again, I'm going to clarify what I said, every single nationally known conservative scholar who has published peer-reviewed articles on the subject is in favor of Article 5. It's nothing but a lie to say they're not. 
Randy Barnett, the head of the Georgetown Center for the Constitution at Georgetown School of Law, one of the top legal institutions in America. Professor Robbie George, a chair at Princeton University. Mark Levin, C. Boyden Gray, former White House counsel. I heard an attack saying that we're trying to do away with the Second Amendment. A young man got up here, read something prepared, I would guess by his father, very well written, very well delivered, I have to say, worrying about the Second Amendment. You can look on our website, Chuck Cooper, Cooper, the longest serving lawyer for the NRA, outside litigators, dedicated his entire career to the preservation of the Second Amendment in the United States of America, to pushing back against those that would impede the full exercise of our Second Amendment, wrote a letter saying this is an outrageous and absurd slander. So what you've heard today from people that I will assume are well-intentioned, but frankly ignorant on the subject and have been misled are misleading, slanderous, outrageous claims. You heard long and extensive claims about our apparent attempts to impose a new constitution on the United States of America. A constitution which apparently, according to Ms. Martin, has already been drafted and proposed, which I've never seen nor read, which I would argue we could bring them all up. Not one person in our 5.2 million supporters around the nation has ever seen or heard of. These things exist in the fantasies of our opponents. The thing that is not fantasy is that the United States of America ha hangs in the balance. Washington, D.C. is completely out of control, and I do not mean that on a partisan basis. I'm not referring to just today. I'm referring to a very long time. Under both parties, Washington, D.C. has been out of control. In 1982, some of the same people who oppose us today opposed the idea of simply calling a convention to discuss a balanced budget amendment. In 1982, you can go back and look this up. You can't spin the debt clock in reverse fast enough to watch it happen, but we had a $4 trillion debt. I would pause it. I don't know what $4 trillion is. I don't think anybody does. I don't think anybody can imagine the meaning of $4 trillion, and yet today we are at $30 trillion, and the reality is if you count unfunded liabilities, we are currently over $150 trillion, and these same people that are in this room today telling you that it is not time to act, that you cannot act now, that you must be cowards, that you must stand, stand down in the face of tyranny, these same people when it was $4 trillion told you to stand down. Now, not you because you were not there. You did not hold that responsibility. You did not hold that sacred trust at that time. But there were men and women who sat in these seats that had the opportunity to do something about the crushing debt facing our debt, our country back in the 1980s, and they chose to stand down. And today, we have them to thank. And some of the people sitting here in the audience today that were around back then that opposed the use of Article 5. I have been accused of saying that our opponents have no actual answers. And that is an accusation to which I stand rightly accused. It's something that I say regularly. I speak with them, hundreds, if not thousands of them all over the country, and I ask the question, what is your solution? I can summarize. You heard some of it today. I am told that prayer is the answer. And my response to that is absolutely. Every single day, more often than we do now, no matter how much we do it, prayer is a solution. And we should always invoke prayer, as the founders did. Number two, I hear that we should elect better people. My answer to that statement is, how's that working for us? We elected them in 82, and 84, and 86, and so on, and today we stand at $150 trillion 
in debt, including unfunded liabilities. And it's immoral, it is unethical. And as the cliche goes, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome, well, we all know what that does. And finally, I hear, and I heard it again today multiple times, we should just nullify. As if there is a magic nullification wand, perhaps you can get it from Dumbledore or somebody at Hogwarts. I've not seen the wand. I'm looking for the states to arise and begin to nullify. I'd be interested in seeing if anybody in the states actually has the desire or the fortitude to do that. I think it's a very difficult thing. I think it is constitutionally questionable. And the reality is, well, it's not reality. The reality is if the states could simply just nullify, states would simply be just nullifying. The founders gave us a remedy in Article 5. They asked us to use it when the time came. And I would argue that the time is now. You heard young people stand up here today. I'm always happy to see them engage in the political process. It pleases me greatly. But the reality is those young people, especially the very young ones today that you and I listen to, that we we're so impressed by, if we don't do something, they have no future in this country. This country is going to collapse. It's not an if, it's a when, if we continue on this trajectory. And the real question today that you have to ask yourselves is what role will you play in the historical pantheon? Because we have a choice to make. You, we in the states are going to stand against federal tyranny and we are going to use the tool that the founders gave us or we will be known as the people who didn't stand when we had the opportunity. When I look back at 1982, and I look back at pictures of people in those legislatures, and I do this sometimes, time to time. I walk around the halls. I've been in 48 state legislatures around the country. A lot of legislatures have pictures of a, the various legislatures from year. I always go to 1982. And I always look back and I think the chance, the chance that you walked away from to actually rein this stuff in. You have that chance again. We've been given a second chance. I believe it's our last chance. And I ask that you do the brave thing. Don't be fearful, as so many people are telling you to do. Stand with courage. Do the brave thing. Stand for the people of Ohio and the people of the United States of America and pass this resolution. Thank you. Happy to take questions. Thank you for your testimony. Senator Craig, questions? No, thank you very much. Um, I do have uh, one, at least. Um, so we've talked about, I've asked the question of uh, many of the speakers today about, uh, so if we do this, we become the 20th state, I believe. Correct. Uh, to sign on, and others do, and we get approaching that 30-some uh, number that uh, forces this Constitutional Convention. Do you believe that uh, that will be enough to get Congress to act on these issues that we are passionate about? Hard to say what's in the minds of Congress, but history would say yes to us. Uh, we have instances of this happening in the past. For example, we ended up getting Graham-Redman, which was a balance, uh, a budget reconciliation act out of that push that I was describing in the late 70s and early 80s. So they did take an action. I don't think it was enough. I think they should have pushed forward with the balanced budget convention. Uh, but we have that. 17th Amendment came out of the action of the states pushing to uh, do direct election of senators. By the way, something that I'm really opposed to, I think it was a terrible amendment. Uh, I personally think we ought to repeal that. Uh, but that was something that came out of the states getting very close to a convention two different times. The Bill of Rights itself comes out of a threat to go to convention. And so we have multiple times in American history where Congress has relented based on pressure from the public moving towards a convention. So I think that's highly likely. So how would you respond to uh, some of the comments we've heard today and I, I think resonate in my mind a little bit. And, well, 
we're we're disappointed in Congress and Washington D.C. Now, what what makes you think they'll act in a reasonable manner going forward with the authority? To I think we all agree with the authority to appoint delegates, appoint, ratify. All I mean, all they they control the authority by and large. How, what do what do we think we'll get a better product out of our current leaders in Washington? So let me separate the question because I actually think there are two parts. I'm going to deal with authority over the convention first. There are those in the room who said today, I've heard it many times, it's been widely refuted in the scholarly literature, that Congress would control the convention. It's important that you don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to read the scholarly literature to understand how absurd that is. The entire purpose for the introduction of the second clause of Article 5, and Madison says this, <clears throat> is that Congress would not propose the appropriate types of amendments on its own. So they needed to propose a way to essentially wire around Congress and the federal government. The entire second clause of Article 5 would be redundant and absurd. Congress can already propose amendments. Why would they send it to the states to do so if they controlled the entire process? Literally just not logical. Now the scholarly literature supports what I'm saying. People uh, pretend that we have no idea what would happen. We have no history around this. We, t we say this over and over, Senator, and with due, re due respect to everybody who's here, all they have to do is read the law of Article 5 by Professor Rob Nadelson. It's been thoroughly researched. There's over 40 cases that have ruled around the area of Article 5. We have a long history. We have precedent. So Congress has no involvement and no role whatsoever beyond naming the time and place of convention and mode of ratification. There are two proposed modes, both specified in the Constitution. Uh, first is legislative ratification. I believe that's what they would choose most likely. In all but one amendment to date, they've chosen legislative ratification. In the repeal of prohibition, they chose state ratifying conventions. Interestingly, what is a state ratifying convention? Up to the state legislature. So really, one way or another, state ratifying conventions or state legislative ratification, that's in the purview of the state legislature. Again, another indicator that when this was proposed and put into the Constitution, it was intended to give states control of the process. I think the second part of the question, which you might have been implying, and forgive me if you're not, feel free to stop me, is I, I hear this one all the time too, which is, well, why do we think that they would follow amendments? Why wouldn't they just mess around with those? Because they do that with the Constitution now. And the reality is we have to look at reality once again. And I think a lot of times our opponents, they believe things, but those things are not true in reality. You do politics for a living, and politics are... I'm a farmer. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm a farmer. So. How about not for a living? For <laughs> I'm a, a statesman. As a, Senator as Craig a and I are statesmen. <laughs> I appreciate that. You are, actually. I see that a lot in state legislators, legislatures. But one of the things is we have to deal with political reality. And political reality is this, and our constitutional reality is we may not like it, but our constitution is not what it used to be. The Supreme Court post Marbury versus Madison has been issuing rulings every single year. We're seeing more of them right now. And I showed this document or this constitution, so-called constitution, the last time I was here. It's over 3,000 pages now with all the supplements. That's the constitution under which we live right now, whether we like it or not. And the mode for fixing that is to call an Article 5 convention. History tells us that when we pass an amendment, it takes roughly 18 months to ratify the average amendment. It takes an overwhelming majority of the American population, the states, 38 states, to ratify it. That's political muscle, ultimately. And legislatures tend to follow along with that. In fact, what I would predict that you would see out of Washington, 
post-ratification is legislators in D.C. who don't have the courage that you have saying, oh, I've always been a fan of these amendments. That's, they tend to switch their opinions once the public has spoken boldly. And we have a history. It takes about 100 years for us to start drifting away from the original literal, literal interpretation of an amendment. Well, Rita, some of those videos were really crazy. Mark uh, obviously set the record, st record straight, and it was just an excellent testimony that he gave, as always. Uh, we have to go over now to Mike Ruthenberg, who does have the answer for our Article 5 trivia giveaway. Mike, back to you. Going back to our, our trivia question, of course, there's been so many great high-profile endorsements to convention states, none other than Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, Governor Ron DeSantis, Ron Paul. You've heard five presidential candidates all endorse convention of states. However, you've never seen anybody from Hollywood endorse convention of states. How about this? After, here's the question. After Mark Meckler appeared on this guy's television show, this influential actor became the most recent high-profile endorsement of convention of states. Anybody remember? How about Kirk Cameron? He's the most recent endorser of the Convention of States movement. And now check out this clip from his recent interview with our COS president, Mark Meckler. We're not really trying to change the Constitution so much as restore the original Constitution. I think that that's really important, that, uh, we're, that, that you're not trying to change the Constitution. You're trying to, to rein the government back in to line up with the original intent of the Constitution which was never to uh, take the responsibility to educate our kids away from us as parents. Tell us how that we're gonna run our healthcare. That's something that, that we do ourselves. And tell us how to run our businesses and our churches. That's something that God's given for us to handle as individuals and as families. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Yeah, so how can people get involved in Convention of States? You know, I think this is really important. You know, we talk about a lot of stuff in politics and in faith, and then the question is, what do we do, actually? Because talking is one thing, and, and it's good that we talk about it. What you do is people go to convention of states, they send a petition, they click on the link, send a petition to their state legislature. And how do they go there? Convention Conventionofstates.com, and they click on the link to sign the petition, and then more importantly, click on the Take Action tab. Volunteer to be involved, and our folks are involved in a lot more than this. They're fighting for their faith, their freedom of religion in state legislatures, right to life, right to keep and bear arms, if you get involved, you're going to be involved in a family of people, primarily believers all across this country in all 50 states. Wherever you are, we need you involved. Today, over 5.2 million people are involved. They're at conventionofstates.com. He, alongside with CUS President Mark Meckler, has also participated in Patriot Academy's Biblical Citizenship in Modern America course. And here's what Cameron had to say about COS. After spending the time to look into the Convention of States project, I've become an ardent supporter. For those who worry about the idea of a runaway convention, I employ you to put away the fear. Do your research and join me in this movement to return the nation to our biblical and constitutional roots. Now's the time for courage. If you wanna see a little bit more about Kirk Cameron and all of our other supporters, just go to conventionofstates.com, then that forward slash endorsements. Convention of States, excuse me, conventionofstates.com slash endorsements. And you'll be able to see all the people that are super smart, super influential, that are working to make Convention of States a reality. Back to you, Rita and Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike.
We do this show every week because we love America. What we don't love is what's being done to her by swamp monsters in DC. The founders knew this would happen and they gave us a plan to fight back. In Article 5 of the Constitution, they inserted a failsafe, a convention of states for proposing amendments to rein in federal tyranny. We're organizing where we, the people, have the advantage, in the states. The best part? Neither the president nor Congress can do a thing to stop us. The states are agreeing in advance to discuss amendment proposals on three topics, term limits, fiscal restraints on Congress, and limits on the size and scope of the federal government. This is truly a solution as big as our nation's problems. Join Governor Ron DeSantis, Ben Shapiro, Senator Rand Paul, Mark Levin, and millions of liberty-loving patriots by signing and sharing the petition at conventionofstates.com. Then click the Take Action tab to help us save America. After you've taken action and you have signed up to help save America, make sure that you are following us on all of our social media platforms. We're on Rumble, MeWe, Facebook, Twitter, Parler, Instagram, Getter, and we're also on TikTok. Uh, you could listen to this program and other historic legacy content on our Convention of States podcast. Just search Convention of States wherever you podcast from. You can also text START to 54555 to bypass big tech and to get important Convention of States updates. Again, that's START to 54555. Check out the battle cry with COS President Mark Meckler Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We'll see you next Tuesday for another edition of COS Live at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Remember, politics is not a spectator sport. If you really want to win, if you really want to change America, we need you in the fight for liberty. We need you in the game. Your country needs you. This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.